Hey, can we thank our worship team one time? Give it up for them. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Y'all doing well tonight? Anybody else getting kicked in the butt by some allergies? Some dang pollen. I don't know what the heck it is. I feel like I'm talking three octaves lower than usual tonight. <laughs> you hear me, right? Sorry. Can you bear with me tonight? So good to see you. So good. So glad that you came here tonight. Glad that you're here. I know you had lots of options. Anybody taking finals this week? Ha <laughs> ha! Somebody laughed. That was someone who's done with finals. Everybody done with finals? Praise be to the Lord on high. Amen? Love you, Winston. You just own the middle row, bro. You just own the middle. Love it. <laughs> hey, we've been, uh, uh, last week we started a new conversation, really a talk, uh, talking about how Jesus has called us to live, especially in regards to uh, the power of our words and what comes out of our mouth. And uh, not always a fun thing to talk about uh, unless you're perfect with your words. And if that's you, then you can leave now. Uh, but for the most of us, uh, we realize the power of our words and we realize we fail miserably at that. And we realize that uh, there's been times in our lives where uh, we've used the power of our words, unfortunately, not for good things, not for uh, lifting up people, but for tearing people down. And so we've been talking about uh, my big fat mouth, which is a funny title to me. I laughed at it, um, but it may not be funny to you. And so I want to read, I wanna read uh, the scripture that we're kind of diving into in these few weeks that we're talking about this. And um, I'd encourage you to get in this a little bit more, maybe during the week or whatever. You can just read this on your own time because I believe if we can get this in our soul, it'll change us. From the inside out. So I want to I read it. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. It's a couple verses, uh, 1 through 3, and then we flip over to the end of the chapter, chapter and read some verses there. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 4 says this. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received to be a follower of Jesus. And then he says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Frustrates me that that word completely had to get put there. I'm good with being humble and gentle, but completely humble and gentle is another level. It says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Then you flip over to the end of the chapter, verse 29, and this is uh, what it says. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then here's what it tells us to do. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I really believe that in order for us to stand out as believers, as followers of Jesus, these are verses that we've got to internalize. We've got to bring to heart because it matters how you treat others, how you talk to others, how you interact with others uh, ought to separate you 
from those who are not following Jesus. There ought to be a difference. And so uh, these are challenging verses. If you read these, these are not like cute little comfy verses. These are challenging verses if you really want to embrace them. And so uh, last week we began these talks, we talked about complaining, the power of uh, a complaining spirit. And when what comes out of your mouth is just constantly complaint, uh, then how toxic that is to us and to our relationships. If you remember, we said that uh, our job, or not really our job, our calling as followers of Jesus is to live a, a life of faith, that we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, when we complain, we're complaining about what we see, is living by sight. And so we want to be a people of faith where we're not just complaining about what is, but we're believing about what God could do, what could be. We serve a God where anything is possible, anything can, is redeemable. He brings beauty out of ashes, all these things. Like there's always a new, a fresh start with God. And so we want to be believing for that, not focusing on complaining about what is. And so tonight um, I want to go into something different. I want to talk about, a, uh, I want to talk about criticism. I want to talk about uh, really even further than just criticism and criticizing others. I want to talk about uh, having a critical spirit. I think there's a difference between, you know, criticizing someone or something, but this being like a part of you. Having a critical spirit is like when it is in you, it's in your grain, it just, it's like who you are. It's just the thing. Every day, this is your battle, just being critical. I believe it's a spiritual fight. And so I want to talk about uh, a critical spirit tonight, and uh, I believe it'll be helpful for us. But before we talk about the problems of a critical spirit, I feel like it's important to make a distinction between uh, critique and correction. There's a difference between critique and correction. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32 uh, says this, says, those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. In other words, the one who welcomes correction, the one who wants correction, gains understanding. So I think it's important that we point out from the beginning that correction is actually a good thing. Correction is something that you should want in your life, something that I want in my life, something that we should all want in our life. It's a good thing. But here's the difference. Critique points out. This is kind of how I remember. Critique points out, correction calls out, and calls up. Critique just likes to stand from afar and it points out flaws and shortcomings and all these different things. It just points. But correction actually calls it out and then it calls you up. If you've got someone in your life that is uh, someone who corrects you, what they do is they call you out for the things in your life that, that you know, you're, are different than the standards that you're hoping to live by. They call you out and then they call you up. So this is not for you, man. There's a life better for you. We got to get above this. We got to fight through this. There's something on the other side, man. God has more for you. If you've ever had someone correct you, if you've ever had someone call you out and call you up, you know what a benefit they are to your life. I need that. But critique likes to point. But correction likes to call out and call up. And here's what I've noticed. Critique, pointing, pointing is only done from afar. Pointing can be done separated from you. I can point at you separated from you. But correction has to be done in relationship. Pointing can be done distance. There's distance between me and you. But correction requires relationship, requires a relationship. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, what we read is it says, 
uh, but only what is helpful for building others up. Well, I think we can all agree that correction is helpful for us. You need correction in your life. I need correction in my life. Inside of healthy relationships and inside of healthy community, there has to be correction. There has to be a desire to be corrected. I actually want people, and I think you should too, I actually want people in my life that will correct me, that will say, Austin, I've noticed this about you. I've noticed this thing in you, whatever it is. I've noticed that your, your words are just, they're, they're different. Your words are changing. You're becoming negative. Everything you're saying just a negative. I've, I've noticed this in you, and I want to call it out in you because I don't believe that's how we're called to live as believers, as followers of Christ. I need that person in my life. I want to be corrected. I'm asking. It's not just that I need it. I want it. Don't you? So I want to give you just some advice. Um, if you need people to correct you, then it's imperative that you ask Two to three people, like tonight, tomorrow, whenever, I would encourage you, ask two to three people that you are in close proximity with, that you have a consistent relationship with, people that spend time with you, and say, hey, I want to give you permission to correct me. And this is important. Permission is important. I would say uh, one thing that you need to know about correction is uh, correction should not be given unless you have been given permission. You must have permission to give correction. Now, uh, obviously, anybody can correct. You can correct anybody you want. You can just go to a stranger in here tonight and say, hey, what you're wearing is inappropriate. I'm correcting you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But how many of you know that, that you're not receiving that really well by someone that you don't know, right? So in order for it to be received really well, in order for it to actually take root in someone, the relationship has to exist beforehand. You need to be given permission. Sometimes I sit down with uh, some of you as we just talk through life and different things, and, and sometimes you'll ask me for advice, but sometimes you won't. But as we begin to talk, I just notice things, and, and I'll say th- something like this. I'll never give a correction unless I first say something like this. Hey, um, do you mind if I just share with you, like, what I see? Or, hey, would you be okay if I just told you, like, what I'm hearing from you? Would you be okay if I, if I just shared something that I'm just noticing that's happening? Always ask for correction. I mean, always ask for permission to give correction. Always ask for permission. And so that's why I'd encourage you, find two to three people that you want to give permission to and say, hey, listen, anytime, any place, anywhere, doesn't matter what it is, I'm giving you permission to call me out and then call me up. Call me out and call me up. Will you... I give you permission. And then secondly, I want to say this uh, before we move on. Even if it's a critique or even if you receive correction from somebody that you have not given permission to, or let's say you just receive uh, criticism from someone that you don't even know. You got the social media critique, right? It's so dumb. Um, You you just got criticized by someone that you don't even know. Even if that's the case, I want to encourage you to not disregard it immediately, but instead double-check it. Instead of disregarding, just double check. So what I do is if I receive critique from somebody, let's say somebody out there doesn't like how I'm leading the ministry or what we're doing here at C12 and somebody critiques me, well, if it's someone that I haven't given really permission to correct me on that, then I don't just dismiss it or disregard it. I'll go to one of those two or three people that I've given permission to and I'll say, hey, here's what I heard. Here's what somebody said. Do you see that in me as well? 
Is that, do, do you see that? Is that something, can you confirm that that exists? Can you confirm that that's true? And then I go from there because I've given them permission and they have an inside look at my life and I want correction from them. But here's what's happened. The church has done a really good job, I would say, in the past like few years and we've put a ton of emphasis on preaching something to you along the lines of don't care what people say about you, don't care what people think about you, what you should care about is what God thinks about you. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Come on. Right? So we say these big, powerful statements like, if you live for people's approval, you'll die by their rejection. So don't care what people say. Just care what God says about you. I think it's true, and I'm going to keep saying it, but I want to tell you kind of the negative side of that is we've built a culture in a community of people now that won't take any correction or will completely disregard any critique. And so as soon as somebody calls me out, I then start blowing the horn of, no, I don't care what you say about me. I only care what God says about me, right? And so I think this has just created uh, or can lead to a toxic culture in our community and in your life personally. And I actually, I'm going to step on a limb and say this. I actually believe you should care what people think about you. Now, you shouldn't live and die by it, and it shouldn't, like, govern your life, and it shouldn't affect you emotionally, all this kind of stuff. But you ought to listen because there could be some truth to it. And that's what I'm saying. Go to those two or three people that you've given permission to that know you like nobody else and that truly care about you and have the bravery, the courage to call you out and call you up and then confirm it with them. Say, hey, is this true? Do you see this in me as well? And so I just think there's a difference between critique and correction, and we have to be willing to receive correction. Uh, that, that was the intro. <laughs> Y'all ready? Let's get, let's get into uh, some of the, the meat. Let's talk about criticism. Why do we have a tendency to be so critical of people, and why is it dangerous or even a problem? Let me give you a few thoughts on uh, a critical spirit that I hope will encourage you tonight. Number one is this. Number one thing you need to know about a critical spirit. A critical spirit is always a mask of something deeper. It's always a mask of something deeper. Here's what I've learned in just relationships in general. Uh, there is this thing. It's a gap. There's a gap. And the gap is who I am and who someone else is. And there's this gap between us, and a lot of times that gap leads us into things that are unhealthy, like comparison, the comparison trap, and leads us into approval things, and we're not good enough, and we don't compare to them, and all these kinds of things. But also what happens is that gap will point us to criticism, and here's how. When that gap exists, there becomes a jealousy of who someone is, or their life, or what they have, or what they're doing, and there's that gap between them and me. And in order to decrease the gap or to shorten the gap, instead of me becoming all that God's called me to be, it's much easier for me to just criticize them and pull them down to me. You see what I'm saying? And so when the gap exists and there's something like jealousy, when jealousy exists, it's a lot easier for me to just throw critique at them and point out flaws and essentially pull them down to shorten that gap. That's the easiest thing for us to respond to. 
Or insecurity does the same thing. If I'm not secure in myself, if I'm fighting a lot of insecurities and in who I am and who God's made me to be, I believe actually that jealousy is like a form of insecurity. But it's the same exact thing that I get insecure about me, and so I'm going to attack you to shorten that gap. Do you see how that happens? I give you, I'll give you just an example. This is my life. This may not relate at all to you. But for me, if someone came to me and said, Austin, good news. There is a college ministry across town. Have you heard of this college ministry? Things are going amazing at this other church. People are getting saved and baptized. God's doing incredible things. They started out with like 100 people. Now they're at like 1,000 people. It's unbelievable what God is doing. The, guy, the worship is incredible. The teacher, gosh, he's the best teacher I've ever heard. He's so cool. He wears cool clothes, right? All this kind of stuff. I think I want to go to that ministry. All these cool things are happening. Immediately, what begins to stir in my soul is some insecurity. And what I tend to do is respond in this way. I start critiquing. Yeah, but, like, they're probably not really teaching the Bible, let's be honest, right? Like, they're probably just throwing a bunch of fun parties. They probably have a bigger budget than us. They're probably just giving everybody, like, free Chick-fil-A every night. They're probably, you know, bringing in, like, these cool people to speak and all this kind of stuff. That's, and, and I just start throwing critique because my insecurities led me to a critical spirit. You see how that happens? Your insecurity will lead you to critique. Instead of, I'm secure in who I am, I'm secure in who God's called me to be, I'm secure in what God's doing in my life, and when that's the case, I can be happy for people and their success and what they're doing, and I can live right in the middle of what God's doing in me and what he's doing around me. That's someone who's secure. So jealousy and insecurity will often lead to a critical spirit. I think another thing that leads to a critical spirit is, uh, is like, a, this isn't the right word, but like a haunted past. A haunted past, because here's, hap here's what happens. If you have a bad past relationships or you, you've uh, been mistreated by people, what happens is you don't trust people very easily, and so you put a defense up against people. And because people have wronged you in the past, you don't want to let people in close, afraid that they may hurt you just like someone else hurt you. And so I keep people at a distance. And in order to keep people at a distance, I'll just throw a lot of critique toward them, and I'll criticize everything they do, and I'll just keep people from getting close to me in order to protect myself from getting hurt again. Do you see how critique can slip into your life in so many different ways, and it can start to become toxic? Maybe, maybe critique is taking you out more than you think it is. Point number two, not only is a critical spirit always a mask of something deeper, but a critical spirit is really, it's rooted in pride. I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, gosh, I wish my boss was here to hear this. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. So critical of me all the time. It's called my big fat mouth, not their big fat mouth. Just remember that. That didn't go over as well as I thought it would. <laughs> Critical spirit is rooted in pride. Sometimes our critique is not necessarily hateful. It's just that we believe someone is wrong and uh, I can fix them, <laughs> right? Someone is wrong or what they're doing is wrong or 
is different, and really, I know how they should be, and it's my job to uh, fix them. A critical spirit is sneaky, because oftentimes, it's justified because, well, if they weren't so stupid, <laughs> if they weren't so dumb, they didn't spend their money so unwisely, if they didn't pick relationships so unwisely, they didn't spend their time in such a stupid way, they didn't have such bad habits, then I wouldn't have to critique them. <laughs> and then we just start putting the blame on them, like it's their fault that I have a critical spirit, right? And we just try and justify. We just try and justify. Because after all, we know what's best for their life. I laugh. I think sometimes we do it like this. We say, God has a great plan for your life. And so do I. <laughs> So uh, if you don't do what I think you should do, then I'm going to criticize you. God has a great plan for your life, and so do I. So listen to what I have to say, right? The way you dress, the way you post on Instagram, we just criticize everything. You say you love Jesus. It looks like you love your body. <laughs> that was just one I made up. People's relationship decisions. We all know you're not in the right season for a relationship right now. If I wasn't sick, I could talk more like a girl, but I just have this deep voice. Where you went on for your last vacation. I know you're in debt. You can't be affording that vacation. You ought to be just be going hiking for the weekend or something. <laughs> right? We just throw these, like, dumb critiques out. But if I'm going to be honest... Uh, if I'm going to be honest, out of all the things that kind of get in the middle of relationships that are toxic, as we just talk about them, complaining and lying and gossip and just hate and all these different things that can kind of get in the middle. If I'm going to be honest, I think criticism is probably the one that I struggle with the most. I struggle with, with criticizing people. And here's why. I'm being so vulnerable. One of y'all needs to come up to me afterwards and just be vulnerable. That way I feel, I feel like this is a mutual thing. Uh, here's why. I honestly, most of the time, think that I'm right. I think that I'm right. I had someone ask me one time, do you always think your opinions are right? I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course I do, right? I, I criticize their question. <laughs> As, of course I think all my opinions are right. Like, I wouldn't still have it as an opinion if I thought it was wrong. Right? Am I, am I stupid? Or does that make sense to you guys? Like I would change, if it was a wrong opinion, I would change it so that it was a right opinion. So of course I think I'm right. Or it wouldn't be my opinion. I always think that I'm right. I was talking to uh, another pastor, a friend of mine, actually this week, and we were talking about the tendency for us to just think that we have the answers. Like I have the answers to your problems. I have a solution to solve whatever you're walking through. But reality is I don't. And, and I hope that I'm not revealing too much, but to be honest, I just want to be the type of pastor or the type of person in general just to be able to say, I don't have all the answers, but thank God that I know the one who does. And I'm okay with not having all the answers. And I can't solve your problems. And I don't know how to do your life. I can't walk your life for you. I don't know what your next step would be. I mean, I think my job is to seek God's face and to get clarity on where we're going and to ask him for help as I lead you guys personally. But I, I just got to be honest, I don't have an answer for everything that you walk through. And I'm okay with that. I hope you're okay with that. 
But the one thing that I can do is point you to the person who I know does have the answers. But I fall into critique so easily because it's just kind of my job is to help you and to help you solve your issues and your problems. But I just got to be honest and say I don't know that I can do that. I'd much rather be the person who watches people stumble and fall and instead of rushing to them to say, let me help you, here's what I think you should do, I'd much rather just go, you know what? I think they're on a journey. God's taking them on a journey. And just because they're not living like I would approve for them to live doesn't mean that they're out of God's hand and doesn't mean that God's lost control of them. And so it's not my place to run in and rescue people from every single issue that they have. Does that make sense to you guys? I think it'd be wise for you to live the same way. Can I teach you something about people that I've learned just from working in a a field that revolves around people? You don't have an option. Here it goes. Here's what I've learned. Uh, People are way more complicated than we think. Each one of you is way more complicated than we usually think. People are not as simple and cut and dry and, you know, here's their problem, here's the answer. Uh, Here's what they're messing up in, here's how they can fix it. Here's this thing, this is how they're going to do it. People aren't that simple. It's not that easy. It's not that cut and dry. You can't just solve people like that. I was, um, a couple years ago, I was a student pastor in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee before I moved here. And so I was working with high school students and I had an opportunity to be, um, somewhat of like a chaplain for a high school football team. And so uh, as I was doing this, I got to walk with these guys and uh, had kind of a smaller group of 10 guys that I was uh, investing into. And so I met with them like all year, poured into them, you know, Bible studies, different things, doing all these different things. And then uh, we celebrated the end of the year by going out to eat together, kind of like a little party or whatever. And so I was buying them food, took them out to Chili's. Any Chili's lovers? Baby back ribs. That's, like, that's not even what they're famous for. Is that still their slogan? Chili's. Okay. Um, so I took them out of Chili's, and while we were there, uh, our, our waiter began to, you know, sit us down and ask us what we wanted to drink and all this kind of stuff. And so we got about 15 minutes into the dinner and uh, noticed that the waiter was just, like, really sad, not energetic, didn't love his job, uh, just, like, you would say was in a terrible mood, right? And so the guys at the table started kind of poking fun at him, not to his face, just behind his back, like this guy, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. (laughs) That's not really what high schoolers say. That's what my grandpa says. But I don't know, the equivalent of that, whatever high schoolers say, and just kind of just criticizing him because he was apparently uh, in a bad mood and wasn't happy to be doing his job. All the waiters and waitresses says, yeah, right? You guys, okay. Um, and so I let them just kind of do their thing, and we ate and um, just had a meal and let them kind of talk amongst themselves and, and um, talk about this guy for a little bit. And then we walked outside. As we walked outside, I just stopped him before we went any further, and I said, guys, do you guys know, do you guys know that guy at all? And uh, they said, nope, never met him. And I said, well, I do, actually. And they didn't know. I actually knew the guy the whole time. Um, Two months before, prior to that, my church had gotten word of some people in our church who went through this tragic accident in their family, 
And so uh, me and a couple other people gathered to pray for their family. And um, never met the guy, and, uh, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. But I recognized him and his name, and I recognized uh, his story. And I said, guys, what, what y'all don't know is this dude is a sophomore in college, and uh, two months ago lost both of his dad and his mom in a car accident, and now he's responsible for providing and taking care of both of his younger sisters. I said, did you guys know that? They said, no, didn't know that. I said, if you would have known that, do you think you would have treated him a little bit different? I said, yeah, I think so. What I didn't know is that was the most impactful thing, the most impactful conversation I would have with these guys the whole year. And here's what I just want to tell you. There's always more. There's always more complexities behind people than you think. They're not that simple. It wasn't just this guy woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It wasn't just he was in a bad mood and didn't like working at Chili's. He was fighting some hard, hard things. And we do the same exact thing every single day. We don't, we don't care to work through people's complexities or to get to know their complexities. We just see the simple things on the exterior and make a quick criticism about that. We see the girl that's slept around a lot and has a bunch of partners and we call her a slut and we criticize her for her past and what she's done. And little do we know what she's walked through in the past, that she didn't have a dad in her life, that she watched her mom bring home a different guy every week. We don't know anything that she's walked through. We don't know how she's dealt with it. And the only way that she will ever feel approval or affection or the only way that she feels loved by somebody else is in a sexual relationship. We have no idea, nor do we even care to get to the complexities behind. All we think is she's just sleeping around and she's a slut. And we have no idea. Now, I'll be the first to say, I don't think, you know, we can excuse behavior just because I have a bad past. I think we're all responsible and we can all turn a new leaf and we can all, by the help of the Holy Spirit, start again. And we can't just blame everything on a past. But what I'm trying to get you to hear is there's complexities behind each person's problem. And you can't just fix it with a little statement or you can't just fix it by throwing some critique at them. You're not the one. How prideful of you to think that you can fix somebody just with a little statement or some critique. And that's what critique is. That's what criticism is. Is you're throwing out, oh, pfft, pfft. <laughs> you have no idea. I bet you in here tonight, there's people, and we have no idea the complexities of your story. We have no idea. But how many of us don't even care to get to know? We would assume just point from afar and point out and critique. I believe we've called, been called to something so much greater. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, God gives grace to those who are humble enough to offer grace to other people. God gives grace to those who are humble enough to offer it to other people. And when you're quick to just criticize and critique and just point out flaws and just point your finger, it's a prideful spirit in you. And I just want to remind you, 
that God opposes the pride, but he gives grace to the humble. Maybe God's just trying to tap on your heart tonight to say, I think you need to be a little bit more humble and give a little bit more grace to people and quit being so critical. The last thing I would say, and then we'll wrap up. Jared, you can come up. Number three is this. A critical spirit reduces your influence. The prayer over your life, I hope you're praying this over your own life, is that God would use you to speak hope into people's lives. That God would use you, your life, your words, your actions, everything, to bring other people hope. That's what we're talking about in this series. You have a choice. You can either tear people down or you can bring people up. The prayer is that God would use you to deliver hope to other people. That God would use you to speak to people when they felt like giving up. You stepped in and spoke a word of hope to them and told them there'd be a better tomorrow and gave them whatever they need to just get an extra push. When they felt like quitting on this whole faith thing because they felt too far from God, God sent you to speak a word to them that caused them to embrace God's love for them and to realize that he hasn't left them. That was your calling. That was the word supposed to come out of your mouth. That's the prayer over us that we would be those kinds of people. And so I want to leave you with this. You're either going to be a fault finder or a hope dealer. But you cannot be both. You will either be a fault finder or a hope dealer. You're either going to find faults in everybody or you're going to choose to be a hope dealer to people even through their faults, even in the middle of their faults, even though their faults have hurt you. You will either be a fault finder. Listen, what you look for, you typically find. If you hung out with me for three hours, if your goal was to find fault and to find my shortcomings and mistakes, I promise you, you'd find them. When you get married one day, if you look for the faults in your spouse, I promise you, you'll find them. You're either going to look for people's faults or you're going to decide that I'm going to be a hope dealer, not a fault finder. And if you're a fault finder, you will look a lot like the Pharisees. If you read the New Testament, this is exactly what the Pharisees did. The real spiritual people, what they did is they just called out everybody's faults. This is how you're not living up to the standard. This is what you're doing. This is how you're not doing things right. Just fault finder, fault finder. And check this out. Even worse than the Pharisees, even worse than the Pharisees, our enemy, the devil himself, the one that we were all united together fighting against, these are some of the names of him. He's called the deceiver, the devourer, the prince of darkness. He's the father of lies. Oh, and by the way, he's called the accuser. The accuser. The one who accuses you before God for all of your faults. He's a fault finder in you. And he points out every fault in you. So I'm not going to say it. I want you to come to the conclusion. But when you're a fault finder, you're a lot like a Pharisee, but you're also a lot like someone else. 
And that ought to sting you to the core. That whenever I go around just pointing out people's faults, that's exactly what the one who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy my life is doing. And that's what you're doing. That's what a fault finder does. On the other end is a hope dealer. I love, we've been reading, we've been reading the story of Paul. And so I just went through one chapter. I went through Romans chapter 8. If you just read Romans chapter 8, I want you to hear just the amount of hope that Paul gives to other believers. These are the things that he says. He says, now, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Whew, doesn't that give you hope? He said, the Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness. He said, Jesus is making intercession at the right hand of God, the Father, right now on your behalf. He said that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. He said, neither death nor demons nor angels, neither powers of the present or the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. This is what Paul says. Paul was a hope dealer to the max. And even greater than Paul, we serve the living God himself who is a hope dealer who is coming tonight to speak to you to say there's hope in whatever situation you're walking through. You're never too far gone. You're never too far down. never too far out. You're never too far out of the game. There's always hope because anything is possible. He's a hope dealer. So my question for us tonight is where do we fall? Are we fault finders where we just point out the faults where we just critique everyone and all their flaws and what they're doing wrong and how they can fix their life and all this? Or are we a hope dealer? Hey, I don't know. I don't know what your journey has been like. I don't know the complexities, but I want you to know it's not the end of your story. I want you to know that there's a better day coming. I want you to know that God has a great plan for your life. I want you to know that he's walking with you every step of the way. I want you to know that you can trust him even through everything that you walk through. I want you to know that you're better than that. God has better things for you. This is not who you are. Hope dealer. But as I look at my life and I examine which one I am, I just I think I probably lean more to being a fault finder than I am a hope dealer. And I want to make a point in my life tonight to be a deliverer of hope rather than a finder of faults. Doesn't mean you can't know when someone's in the wrong. Doesn't mean you can't call people out and call them up. Doesn't mean we're just blind to every wrong thing in the world. No, we know. We're just choosing to be hope dealers rather than finger pointers. <laughs> and so here's how I wanna end tonight. I wanna ask you where you're at. I wanna ask you, um, you know, here, here's what I think. Some of you, as you listen to this, you're going, I think criticism is a part of my life a lot more than I want it to be. Like it's more than just, hey, every now and then, you know, I critique and I need to get better at that. No, no, no. This is a, I think criticism is, like I have a critical spirit. Like it's, 
it's become so rooted in who I am and it's just my default. I just go to critiquing people. I think some of you, that's you tonight. And I wanna ask you, would you be willing tonight to repent? Would you be willing tonight to say, God, I don't know how this became me. Or maybe I do know how this became me. But I also know I don't want it to be me going forward. And I don't want to be known by those around me as someone with a critical spirit. I don't want to be known as someone as, from those around me as a fault finder. I want to be known as a hope dealer. And here's what I believe. This is more than just, hey, let's all get better and be nicer. This is a spiritual thing. This is deeply spiritual. And some of you, the critical spirit is so deep in you. Like it's a stronghold on your life. And you need healing from it. This isn't just let's all get better and be nicer. No, you need healing tonight over a critical spirit. And so I'm going to ask as you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask if, if that's you. I want to give you a moment to respond. The band's going to come back up and lead us in worship. And as we sing this next song, I just want to challenge you. You've listened to the truth. You know what God's calling you to. You know if, that, you know if this is you, the Holy Spirit's convicted you. You know this is your battle, and you know tonight needs to be the night that uh, you ask him to change you. And so if that's you, you know, we're not going to do anything fancy or whatever. I just want you to take the next worship song to just have a moment of repentance and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Don't know how this got in me. Maybe just be years of bad seeds that people have planted in me or just years of things that I never gave notice to but I want you to change me I want to be a hope dealer I want to be a hope dealer and so as we sing this next song I just want to invite you to respond I, I would encourage you maybe to come forward and to treat this space at the front as kind of an altar a place where you lay it before God lay it at his feet and then never walk back to it never walk back to it do your business down here pray Lay it here and then walk back to your seat believing that God's going to make you a new person and you can be a hope dealer instead of a fault finder from here on out. So let's stand to our feet. As we worship, you respond how God's calling you to respond. Surrounding me, let it bring.